pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Olivia Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hua Chenggui, a writer at, at Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in, the new, in New York. I was going to say the New York area. That doesn't make any sense. I'm in New York, guys. It sounded like you forgot where you wrote for a minute. <laughs> oh, where am I? Who am well, I? Well, she's always sit in the D.C. area for two, for no, two I mean, years. No, I mean, it like she forgot, like, the publication she yeah. wrote at. I'm just very excited about being a New and York she guys. she's just like, I don't know what I do anymore. I'm in New York. Yeah. I'm in New York now, guys. Um, hi, I've been talking, but I'm Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News. Um, and this week... We are talking about one of my very favorite movie genres, and that would be the Western. But before we dive into what exactly we're going to get into with cowboys and the wild, wild west, we have an ad from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Tumbleweeds. When you're a weed and you just feel like tumbling across an old abandoned west town, that feeling just... Get you all tumbling. It's a very apt ad for our episode this week. I know it was very like it's different than the ones we usually have. It's I know, yeah. like it's themed to it's our very, episode. It's like first we have like nineteen forties guy, and now we have Clint Eastwood. What's going on here, guys? Okay, well we'll talk about Clint Eastwood. <laughs> we'll we'll get there. Um, so let me start off, guys, because this is my idea, and I think that I am probably the person who is most passionate about westerns of our little trio um yeah, I'd say so, so. i like them yeah yeah so i i've always liked westerns um i mean i was a history major so anything set in the past automatically has an appeal to me um and westerns are included in that um but it was my dad and my first year of college that really got me into western so the summer before college my dad and i kind of like bonded before I left California by watching a lot of his old favorite movies and a lot of them turned out to be old westerns and old like war movies so we watched like Magnificent Seven and The Dirty Dozen and movies like that um yeah and so like he introduced me to a lot of like his favorite westerns which are mostly like the 70s westerns is that when Magnificent Seven came out the 60s like the 60s 60s 70s around there um and then in one of my cinema classes at AU um, it was the, uh, it was, like, was the it main, the no, it was the main, like, cinema class that everyone has to take. It's, like, a general. Oh, Critical Approach to Cinema. Yes, so, w- Critical Approach to Cinema I had with Professor David Pike. Shout out, Pike! Oh, Pike um, loves the Westerns. The second half of the semester, he tailored specifically two Westerns. I so believe we watched- he actually taught a Western class. I had friends he, who, ta- who he took He probably it. did. Um, so I watched a lot of Westerns in that class and fell even more in love with them. Um, and my love of westerns, they they can be it can be a problematic genre as anything can be, but especially just because of where they take place and kind of the inherent attitudes towards race and gender in some and of these movies. It's definitely when the a little... movie was filmed too. Yeah, no, it's like every it's all of that. It's like the old American idea of Americans and Indians, cowboys and Indians, which is like super racist. The rugged individualism of the Western too. Yeah, yeah. So the like white savior of a town. They they have some uh, problems to say the least, but my love for them really comes down to the fact that like cowboys are basically just the American West's answer to like medieval knights. 
And I am a huge fantasy person who loves knights and princesses and dragons and blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> cowboys are just the just heroes of the wild frontier who, instead of fighting a dragon with their sword, they're fighting an outlaw with their gun. You know, they're still, like, these kind of, like, ideal versions of heroes and, like, what is just and fair and moral in the world. Um, and so I really love Westerns for that reason, is that they kind of remind me of a fantasy story, um, but just set in the wild, wild west. So I have a lot of thoughts about Westerns, a lot of favorites, a lot of criticisms, um, but that's me and Westerns. What about you guys? HD, what's your relationship with Westerns? So I've never had a big affinity for the Western. Um, I've the, Most of the Westerns that I liked were movies that I considered not typical Westerns, or the Western that I liked were usually like filtered down through um, some other medium. Like, for example, one, my favorite episode of Avatar The Last Airbender, Zuko Alone, is basically a Western. And um, mm-hmm. my favorite, my, one of my favorite manga of all time, Roni Kenshin, is basically a Western as well. And so I kind of liked, I liked the aspects of the Western, but I never liked the traditional Western that much because I saw it as very hyper-masculine and kind of boring for me because it didn't quite appeal to m- what my favorite kinds of stories, except unless they were like, you know, given like a new angle or twist or something. But one of my favorite Westerns that I um, came, came to like and maybe thought that, oh, I actually do like this genre, was um, True Grit. Hey, I, I love True Grit. I mean, there's no, there's no coincidence that it has a female lead. Uh, this was the new True Grit, by the way, with Haley Seinfeld and Jeff Bridges. And um, I absolutely adored that film, and I loved uh, Haley Seinfeld's character. I loved how complex she was, and I loved the simple tale of revenge um, that's, that was done in a very different um, style than I had seen before, like in a Western film at least. So uh, that was a movie start that started to get me to open a little bit to Westerns. Um, around that time, I also watched 310 to Yuma, which I really liked. Also offered a really complex picture of what I assumed a western would, would be that one which um, uh which 310 the you new want? one with christian bale and um russell crowe and uh ben foster in one of his early ben foster roles mm-hmm. i loved him in that movie um so that was a really great film that i remember liking a lot because it had a lot of moral grays um i think for me i always associate westerns with like the true um you know, good and evil um black and white pictures that I not not like literally black and white but something that didn't really have a lot of moral grace and thus end up being a little bit more hard to watch because those black and white like the evil side often were people of color Native Americans that kind of thing so it was uh, something that didn't really interest me but then with 310 to Yuma for example I liked how you had a villain who was sympathetic. I liked how you had a protagonist who was flawed. And, um, yeah, around that time, there was, like, a kind of mini Western boom. That was, like, late 2000s, like 2008-ish. And um, there's a little mini Western boom. And I watched all those movies then and really enjoyed them. Uh, no Country for Old Men, I liked a lot, the Coen Brothers film, uh, and in its simplicity and its dark simplicity as well. Um, I guess you could kind of... Uh, categorized uh, There Will Be Blood as a Western in a way. It's a very, it's a truly epic American tale. I don't know if you could call it a Western, but 
the country it definitely falls more in that line it's definitely it's not the cowboy comes into town and saves something mm-hmm. sort of deal but it's definitely like it deals with old west the old west in like a different way yeah. and i i would qualify it as a western i would say it's it's not your traditional western but i definitely call it a western yeah so i i think i i've become more open to the western in many ways especially uh after recently watching uh, seven samurai uh directed by akira kurosawa which had a huge effect on um western films in the 70s and also were like was large and like his films were largely influenced as well by like John Ford films and uh, other older westerns as well, which kind of like it came full circle and I thought that was really interesting. So westerns, I think I enjoy more as a concept, um, but or or filtered down through some other lens or given other some other different twist or some sort of subversion in some way that will yeah. make me more interested in it as like on a character basis rather than on a like black and white morality basis because I, I i like you anya i do enjoy like chivalric tales and medieval knights and those kind of things but i feel like with the western i didn't enjoy it as much for some reason i'm not really sure why i i think i can probably pinpoint why mm-hmm. maybe in that like the western i think as opposed to like fantasy stories or medieval stories which feel very far removed mm-hmm. from our rea- our reality Westerns are slightly fantasy films, but, like, they still touch on issues in American society that we are still very much struggling with, and they do not always touch on them well or with any sort of nuance Mm -hmm. or subtlety or progressive lens. And so I think that with some of the more classic Westerns that are definitely more uh, problematic, I'll just keep using that word, like... Um, something like The Searchers, which is, like, one of the most lauded Western films that I hate mm. because of its racism and sexism. Um, yeah, so I think some of the more, like, quote-unquote classic ones just kind of struggle with the American frontier and, like, systemic problems in this country. Yeah. Willoughby, what about you? What, what was What's your experience been with Westerns? Well, I first saw Toy Story in 1995, <laughs> um, and he had a hat, and that was nice. No, um, so I, I'm i kind of leaning towards HT, where I kind of like Westerns more as a concept and how to, like, almost subvert and do, like, different things with Westerns. Like, it's going to be super cliche, but did you guys know that Logan is secretly a Western? I had no idea. Hot take. Hot mm-hmm. take. No. Like, I like the idea. I like neo-westerns. I like the ones that are set in contemporary America. Like, Hell or High Water, I think, is a really good example of that. Um, uh, as well as, I watched No Country for Old Men, like, ten years ago, and I fell asleep twice. So, that probably is not great. I need to watch it again. <laughs> but, like, as well, the older um, uh, westerns, I have not really watched a lot. Um, in fact, for this ep- for this episode, once we decided on a theme, I went and found that Amazon Prime had the entire uh, um, good the good the bad and the ugly trilogy on Prime to watch for free if you have a Prime subscription. So that's a uh, uh, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, and the good and the bad and the ugly. And I watched it, and I thought. Some what I okay so like we've been talking about the themes and stuff for westerns, but I want to talk about 
the filmmaking. Because we haven't yeah. talked about that. that much. I like how westerns are filmed because it's super tense. You get these extreme wide shots of technically Italy in the uh, spaghetti westerns, but usually of the American landscape. Um, you know, you have the the classic old west town where there's a saloon next to a bank next to the bar next to the you know jailhouse and next to the sheriff's place they're all right next to each other and it's a dirt road and you have the cowboy coming in he's in shadow and he's just you know like and then he takes down like three bad guys and it's like a fun little like you know this is kind of like what you know the western was the superhero movie of its day where it's like this is what people this is what hollywood was making a dime a dozen and, you know, they probably reuse a lot of sets and stuff. Um, but they were great because it kind of, at least, you know, they kind of push the boundaries of what you can do in filmmaking because there's a lot of action involved. At, when Westerns were being made, film was only 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 years old. So, like, there's not much that you can do that you can do now. It was really interesting watching The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, um, which is a three-hour movie, by the way didn't know that that took a lot of my day um I, had to, I stopped and went to go get kava for lunch and then came back and had another hour after two hours um they fight the entire civil war in that movie it's kind of wild um and then I, I switched forward to 2010's true grit which is filmed by roger deakins and you can't get a better cinematographer to shoot the old west than roger deakins because that man knows how to frame a shot and knows how to frame landscapes. And the final scenes of True Grit where, spoiler alert, Maddie gets her arm uh, bitten by a snake and she has to go back to town for the um, to get the venom out. There's this whole sequence of uh, Jeff Bridges and Haley Steinfeld on a horse riding back from where they were um, into the from the Indian Territory into back to Texas and just beautiful shots in that one nighttime shot and they're just going across and you see all the stars and you're just like oh my gosh this is like what i want in a western which is these grand sweeping filmmaking um i haven't seen the 310 to yuma movies either either one i've seen both magnificent seven the original and the remake and technically i've seen uh the original original seven samurai um and I like what the modern Western filmmaking is doing in these movies. Like, not, not exactly a, a neo-Western, but a, a Western made in the 21st century because we have all these great new developments with uh, cinematography and editing. You can do basically a lot of things that you couldn't have done back then. And it's just so much more exciting because the action is kind of a lot more fast-paced. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want more of the slow-paced, like, simmering violence. And that's great, too. But I also, like, just, like, you can compress a lot with editing nowadays. Like, uh, True Grit takes, uh, the Coen's True True Grit takes out, like, the first half hour of the the, um, uh, original True Grit. Because the original True Grit had, like... Maddie's father go into town, get shot. Maddie, oh, you know, there was a whole bunch of it. That Sorry? feels so unnecessary. Yeah, there was so much that they 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 jumped straight to the to the gun for what they wanted to tell, and that's what I feel like you can do with modern movies is tell different aspects of the western story, um, or tell it a little bit differently. Like Magnificent Seven is very similar to the to the original one, but they kind of get the gang together a lot quicker because you could, because they just wanted to get the, to the, 
to the rest of the uh, movie more quickly. Um, I feel like old movies are always a little bit too slow, um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, you get so much out of these movies that you wouldn't get in like movies that are set on in a set. You know, like I feel like th- these movies are just like so wide. Yeah, I'm not. And I think I mean, and that exists even for like the old classics. I mean. The fact that, like, you have something like Stagecoach, which is one of, like, John Ford's earliest films, um, and one of my favorite westerns. I love Stagecoach, although I love it for John Carradine, not John Ford. Um, John Carradine plays a, a guy named Hatfield. Hatfield? Hatfield McCoy, maybe? Is it- I can't remember. I don't know, but John Carradine was great in that movie, and I have a huge crush on him in that movie. But, like, all those old classics, you know, they shot in Monument Valley, and they mm-hmm. have those like stunning sweeping shots of of Utah and like the actual American West. Like these places really exist and they really are that beautiful. And I think you're right, Willoughby, like the Western is one of those films that even from its inception has always excelled at this kind of like exceptionally beautiful filmmaking and really innovative filmmaking because they weren't on sets all the time and because they really it was one of, I feel like it was one of the earliest genres of film that really made its location a character. You know, people always say, like, oh, this movie's set in Paris. Like, Paris itself is one of the characters. I kind yeah, of, like, like New, York is, New York is, like, a third character in all the rom-coms. Yeah, I kind of hate that sometimes. Um, but for the Western, it's really true. Like, they really made the frontier, like, a character. Yeah, it's hard to do a Western in New England. It would be, yes. I could do it, though. As a filmmaker, oh boy, I want to do a New England Western. Oh, now oh, I want you to do that. Yeah. Oh, we're podcast over. I'm going back to New England and making a Western. Okay. Take on that challenge, Willoughby. Do it. Um, It'll be so my yeah. goal. So yeah, so I agree. The filmmaking is definitely like a huge aspect of these of this genre. I agree. I feel like for me, when I think of westerns, the thing I think of most. I like that comes first to mind is the filmmaking and those iconic shots and those just like that dynamic way of shooting something that is like, I guess traditionally like doesn't, wouldn't seem that cinematic. It's just like dusty roads and dusty um, and long rolling planes. I guess in a way that is cinematic. Never mind. Forget that last part. But <laughs> that the, the thing, the thing I always think of is how dynamic westerns look and how so much of that cinematography and iconography has been aped for uh, century, for like decades after the big western boom that happened in like the earlier earlier part of cinema history. And it's kind of amazing how how well and how much that that iconography has stuck around since then. Yeah, especially because, like, I was watching the Sergio Leone movies this weekend, and I noticed, like, there's a lot of modern filmmaking going on in here, and these movies took, these movies were filmed 50 years ago. There's a lot of tight close-ups, and a lot of, a lot of, the camera moves a lot. There's a lot of, um, um, I wouldn't say handheld, but there's a moment where, like, a character dies, and the character, the POV of the character dying is the camera, so you see the camera, like, moving back and forth and side to side and falling over, and you're just like, oh, you wouldn't see that in, like, a movie, like, probably, you know, like, another Hollywood studio film, because, like, you, you can't damage the camera like that, because um, it's, like, on a tripod or inst- and whatnot. Um, and, you know, you just get all these, like, uh, 
it's pure Anya you were saying it's you know it reminds you of fantasy movies but I would also say like the western as an ideal is also fantasy because it was like that yeah. but also not really like that because there's probably a lot that were you know the stories that we know from the western films you know that's what we think of when we think of westerns so like it's very much a Hollywoodized version of the West, but it's also probably the only version of the West that we know, unless you like read like manuscripts from there or at that point in time. So like you get like, like the uh, whole, the whole iconography of the cowboy is made up by Hollywood and the cigarette companies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I agree. It's glamorized the point of mythology, like how Westerns have become their own mythology in American cinema so much so that they, have become ingrained in American cinema in no in a way that no other genre really has. Mm-hmm. And I right. think, you know, like you guys have mentioned, like some of the more modern Westerns have started to like deconstruct the, the genre and kind of subvert it. You know, True Grit is kind of a traditional Western, but it, I feel like it, it feels modern as a remake. Mm. Um, and Hell or High Water, which I still, I have it on DVD and I still haven't watched it yet. I know. It's so Anya. good. I know. Anya, I know. we're it talking like, about westerns. I know, and it's like I'm. I know I'm gonna love it. I just have not gotten around to it yet. But um, wait. A I, more... I have a question. Are you? I forgot. Are you a Pine Girl? Like, are you a Chris uh, Pine yes. fan? Okay. Then how have you not watched I Hell know, or High Water, which is my number one argument for why Chris Pine is the number one Pine? I know. He's my number one Pine, even without it. So once I watch it, he's gonna like skyrocket as like. <laughs> The ultimate Chris. Oh, it's, oh. it's my favorite role outside of Captain Kirk for him. Mm, yeah, he's so good. Um, I'm it. very excited to watch it. Um, oh, but like ben another Foster one for me, too. yeah, I've heard. Um, another one for me is Tarantino's Hateful Eight, um, mm. and I am definitely a Tarantino apologist, fangirl, whatever you want to call me. Like, uh, man, might have so many problems, and I'm still like, I love. It's my goal in life to have a birthday party with him because we have the same birthday. That's like my, <laughs> that's like my ultimate dream. Um, but I love The Hateful Eight because The Hateful Eight, for me, explores a lot of themes of Westerns in a very modern way. Um, I will defend the 70 millimeter filmmaking because I think it actually really works. Who's, even Who's 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 attacking it? Yeah, who's people against who's, that? Yeah, a, a lot of people because they're like, what? it takes place... Oh, yes, a lot of people because they say it takes place in a cabin. Like, you don't need... 70 millimeter oh filmmaking. Oh my god, that's the best part. It's so I good. know. It's so you beautiful. can't escape the camera. Everybody's yeah. in shot. I know. Plus that opening wide shot with the overture. Oh, it's beautiful. I saw it in 70 millimeter. It's amazing. We watched it, it together, so Willoughby. Oh, it's, yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you guys were on board with me because I have talked to numerous people where I've been like, oh, I love 70 millimeter. And they're like, oh, really? It's so pretentious. And I'm just like, Anya. Anya, you need to get better friends. Yeah. It's oh, so no, these aren't friends. These are, like, just random people I meet. Okay. And it, we just come oh. up, and I'm like... No, it's oh, such a bold move, need, especially... You need to randomly meet better people. <laughs> I remember because I was a little skeptical about 70mm for, a, like, a claustrophobic film like that, but it only works to its advantage because it's so bold and different, and it really makes that claustrophobia feel more all-encompassing. Exactly. I and it's, like, the... a mystery. Oh. It also, like... I like it as a mystery aspect because, like, you can see everything, mm-hmm. and it it kind of adds to your paranoia. Yeah. Um, but I also just love that it's themes of um, of cruelty and passion, um, because the western for me a lot of like the themes that it really touches on 
are kind of the fact that like the frontier is a lawless land and so like a lot of the films touch on the ideas of moralities and justice and cruelty and you know revenge and i think those themes are kind of those universal themes like i never get tired of seeing explored in stories and for me the hateful eight really touches on those in kind of a way that older films never could have Hmm. just by definition of when they were made basically so Anya, I have a question. What do yes. you think of the like the gritty neo with western like The Revenant, for example? I hate The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> Would you categorize The Revenant as a western? Yes. I would. I think I would cuz it has those like, you know, I think the western is a lot of like um I think nature is a big part of what the Western and like the idea of the frontier as like, like I said, not only lawless, but like unforgiving Mm. in it, just what it is like as what nature is like Mm -hmm. it's temperatures and it's, you know, dryness and it's all of that stuff. So I think it definitely is about like the solo journey of one man surviving. Um, and again, getting vengeance. Um, but I hate that movie. <laughs> Tell us more, Anya. I want to know. I, I, I just, I, I dislike it because um, I think it's just a very boring film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it offers anything. I don't think it actually says anything interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, but he was in the mud for an hour. Leonardo DiCaprio really did all that. Which, like, actually, by the way, he really got he slept ate in a... by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> you really got raped by a bear. No, I said Anyone ate by a bear. But he also, there's that story. By a bear. I know, I know, but there's that story where he, like, got raped by a bear the, that was on, the like. Conspiracy yeah, theory. the conspiracy. Oh, yeah. It yeah, was dumb. I just, like, I don't know. For me, like, westerns are full of characters. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in, like, the literal sense, in that, like, I love the characters. Yeah, like, archetypes, but also, like, that they're full of broad characters who fit all these different roles, but, like, they also themselves have a lot of character, like, just as movies. Right. I feel like, you know, they always have, like, an attitude and stuff, and The Revenant offered none of that to me, and I think there's something to be said for technological achievements, but I don't think a movie can coast on those. Mm. I think it would be a lot more interesting of a movie if it wasn't the entire movie being like survival but at like the first half of the movie the first third of the movie you get to know the main character and his quirks and his qualms and like what they what they do in their you know like who they are Mm. and then you put that character into hell and see how they react because with leonardo dicaprio he's like you barely know who he is and who his son is until like everything falls to shit for him you kind of know more about tom hardy and you kind of care about Tom Hardy more than you and Donald Gleason than you would about Leonardo DiCaprio because Di- DiCaprio is just like Donald, we just, always care about Donald Gleason. Yeah, he was he was in True Grit. He was. Um, he, he was um, yeah, so like he's just running around in the in the woods. Meanwhile, you've got like Tom Hardy, who's a much more interesting character. That may be because Tom Hardy is a much more interesting character actor than Leo is. Um, so like he can play different, not, not to say, I'm not saying Leo's a bad actor. No, no, I'm I'm agreeing with you in a sense. (laughs) I'm just saying Tom Hardy is 
it, it's easier for him to like play like a wilder character, which is why in Django Unchained it was such an interesting casting of Leo as the villain because he's never mm-hmm. been the villain. Before. Yeah, which um, is why he deserved an Oscar for Django and or Wolf of Wall Street ten times over mm-hmm. The Revenant. Oh, agreed. oh yeah, twenty thirteen was the year of Leo playing American terrible people where you got. Gatsby, you've got Wolf of Wall Street, and you had uh, Django Unchained all in one year. And having fun with it, too. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that was all one year. Yeah, or at least, like, over 18 months. Like, Yeah, I think The the, Re- the Revenant was just so relently, relentlessly nihilistic, and it prided itself in that, ni- in that nihilism. Yes. And I feel like for a lot of neo-Westerns such as that, I, they kind of come to associate the Western genre with that you know, nihilism with that rugged masculinity in a way that I think uh, reduces what the Western is as a genre. Do you think that, you know, the future of Westerns is in danger of doing that? Like, because we're seeing that with, for example, Westworld, which is in in a sense more of a sci-fi story than anything. But like its portrayal of the West in that, like, at least the first season is so relentlessly nihilistic in that sense that you you think that westerns are only about that violence and that brutalism more so than any of thing, the things we've been talking about so far. Yeah, I mean, I think like so for me the western is one of those genres that will never die even if it goes through periods where it's made less. Mm. You know, it's always going to, like, pop back up. Or there's still always going to be people making westerns. Um, and I'm hoping that this whole gritty neo-western is just, like, a phase of the western lifespan. Because I don't think that, for me, they really get to the heart of why westerns ha- captivate, captivated our imagination so much. Because it's not about the rugged masculinity. It's, it really is about, like, survival and the characters and their moral compasses. Um, like, it's not a Western, but hearing you guys talk about The Revenant made me think of Wild with Reese Witherspoon, which is, like, not a Western, very different, but, like, the idea of one person having to survive the elements um, and kind of, like, prove something, but it, that movie actually tells a narrative where I feel like The Revenant doesn't, and mm-hmm. Westerns do that. They tell narratives. Like, they're about characters who feel something so deeply that they will brave lawless towns and you know unforgiving terrain because of the things they believe in or the things they're trying to achieve and like westerns for me are very much about like that determination and that that passion um and of course naturally i will always side with the good guys in these stories and their quest for passionate justice um there's a reason i've always been a woody girl over a buzz girl so woody forever I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. He's the best. He is the best character in Toy Story. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Um, But, you know, so, like, so some of my favorites um, of some of these movies is, like, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is, like, an old-school Western with Jimmy Stewart. Um, It was, let me find out when it was made. I have it pulled up. So it's 1962. It's a John Ford movie. And it co-stars James Stewart and John Wayne. Um, and it's very much about 
these two men, played by Stuart and Wayne. Stuart is like a politician and a lawyer who is like a pacifist and he doesn't believe in violence. And John Wayne is very much that kind of rugged cowboy. And the town they're in is being like ransacked by this outlaw played by Lee Marvin. Um, and the two have very different like ideals of like how to deal with such a man as Lee Marvin's character who is like you know, ransacking the town and just bring this endless, like, cruelty and violence. And, like, John Wayne is, you know, very much like, let's get a gun and shoot him, sort of. Um, and James Stewart is like, hold on, we have the law on our side. Oh, wait a minute. Is the Dark Knight a Western? Oh, it might. Well, I mean, haven't haven't people, like, thought of Batman as kind of a cowboy? I mean, there's a reason when he goes back in time, he becomes a cowboy in like yeah. one of those story arcs. I mean, oh, does I he? don't know. Shoot. He does. He does become a cowboy. I don't know if you could call like the Dark Knight like necessarily like a western. A right. western, but it's I got could... it's got the same plot. It's that got you were some just elements of western. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. And I think the thing is, the western as a genre is so adaptable to other places and times um, because all of its a lot of its stories and characters are archetypes and are just kind of like universal themes that you can really change it, which is one of the things I like about Westerns is that you can have it in sort of any movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess you could say the Dark Knight, similar like Bruce versus yeah, Harvey Dent. It, right, like you have Western elements. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were going about... No, that, no, it's fine. Um, unlike, unlike Harvey Dent, though, James Stewart does not follow a path of evil by the end just because he's been, like, fucked over. Um, he does not become Plus Jimmy Stewart. He is Jimmy Stewart. Like Although Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart has played bad before. You know, like, Rope. He has. But they're not necessarily his more memorable... Well, I don't know. Rope and Vertigo are pretty memorable. Yeah. I mean, they are. Like, they're one of his most... At least Vertigo is one of his most But, like, whenever I think of Jimmy Stewart, I always think of, like, Philadelphia story, you're Harvey. That's you're true. like, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, golly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's someone in, there's someone murdering someone outside my window. Oh. <laughs> Although you could say that his character in Rear Window isn't quite all, um, you know. I, I, Rear Window's my favorite Hitchcock film. Yeah. And, well, yeah, I like that he's very morally gray in that one. Yeah, because he's also, a lawyer. Yeah, and also because Grace Kelly is perfection. Yeah, and he just ignores um, her. <laughs> who? How can you ignore Grace? There's Kelly? something happening outside the window. Uh, Grace Kelly's right there in like gorgeous your, dresses. Put your ball gown away, Grace. Grace Kelly. I'm I'm watching this guy like brush his teeth. Right. So yeah. So anyway, Jimmy Stewart's great. I love him. Um, yeah, sorry about that tangent. But. Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, I mean, yeah, but it does show you that, like, you know, the best Westerns are the ones that have those strong moral compasses, at least for me, and the characters who are memorable and are fighting for something, and the fact that they can be translated. And, like, I think that's that's what makes Westerns kind of uh, an ever-evolving and immortal sort of genre. Yeah. Anya, I have a question. What's your thoughts on High Noon? My God! Wait, I have seen High New, haven't I? It's the Gary Cooper film. I know. I'm trying to remember. Like, did we watch that in class, Willoughby? 
We did. We watched it in our melodrama class. I remember because I really actually quite liked that movie. I remember that mm-hmm. we were talking about it and how Gary Cooper received criticism for it because it wasn't a typical Western in a sense. It wasn't. John Wayne hated it. Yeah. And he took the plot of High Noon and, and made a movie called Real Bravo in which like basically he plays the same character as, as Gary Cooper, but the town actually does come to save him. Yeah. And they do get together and face off against the villain. Meanwhile, uh, uh, High Noon is about how the town is a bunch of cowards. Yeah. Yeah. And he has to take Gary Cooper to save it. Yeah. And And he's also got a a wife 30 years younger. Yeah. And he spends like the entire runtime of the film trying to convince people to like stand up for the town. Yeah. It's a real time movie. Yeah. And it's it's really fascinating because it's one of the more morally gray, like older westerns that I've seen. And it's something that doesn't really quite end with a happy ending either. Like, no. Running off in the sunset. It's it's more like it's almost like I think uh, John Wayne called it like a cowardly coward's film, and I thought that was yep. really fascinating. It's so that actually brings me to something that I want to talk about is like so John Wayne. He is John, one of the uh, most famous, hello there partner. One of the most <laughs> famous Wayne? Western actors, and I don't like him, and I don't like most of his movies. And if I do like the movies he's in, it's because of other elements like Stagecoach or The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. I like that, again, for John Carradine and James Stewart and, like, their characters. Did um, you see, have you seen the original True Grit? I have not. You've not? I have not. But it's because John Wayne, for me, um, characterizes the things that don't work in Westerns. And it is that rugged masculinity and that kind of... That, that cruelty at the hands of men um, that I don't love in Westerns. Um, and maybe people will say, well, that's what classic Westerns are all about, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. I'm not here for, like, men being violent just because they're, like, masculine men. Um, it's a lawless town. And, uh, okay, talk about <laughs> James Stewart. He was like, I'm going to bring the law to this lawless town, and we're going to see how that works out. You're going to need a new sheriff. That's a literal line from one I, of the Clint Eastwood movies. I know. We'll talk about him next. I think he's like the predecessor, or the, the successor, successor. Yeah. John Wayne. But so John Wayne, you know, and he really, like, he tried to embody that kind of, that, that ruggedness of the Westerns, including all of its ugliness, but not in a way that was interesting or said something. He just did it as sort of, like you were saying, this kind of nihilistic sort of manner. Um, So one of the most famous Western movies is The Searchers, which stars John Wayne and a very young Natalie Wood. And guess what, guys? I hate this film. I hate it so much. It is awful. It is racist. It is disgusting. But people, like, you know proclaim it as like one of the greatest westerns of all time and i'm like (laughs) no it came out roger ebert said john wayne's character ethan edwards is one of the most compelling characters ford and wayne ever created and i'm like no (laughs) no so this movie came out in 1956 and it was uh based on a novel it's set during the texas indian wars and it stars John Wayne as a middle-aged Civil War veteran. He comes home. Is he he's a Confederate Civil War veteran? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Um, and so he comes home and sees his family and stuff and finds out that his niece, Natalie Wood, has been abducted by 
Native Americans. Oh, no. And he is accompanied by his adoptive nephew to, like, undertake, like, a rescue mission to go rescue Natalie Wood. So you can already see, like, how this goes bad. It's also bad because, like, Ethan is just a cruel character and... Is that John Wayne's character's name? Yeah, Ethan Edwards. He was cruel and he was unforgiving and I guess you can say it's compelling, but for me, it just... It painted the least interesting things about Westerns for me. Um, And so... Have you guys ever seen The Searchers? I haven't. Okay. Don't. Okay. (laughs) Don't. Um, I will just say... I have a question, though. Yes. So why... Do people think it's one of the best westerns of all time? I know well, you I hate think, it. But why do? Why is it lauded? So I think one of those things. I think it's the filmmaking, um, and I think it's the fact that like you aren't necessarily supposed to like Ethan. He is supposed to be a questionable character, and you are supposed to disagree with some of his choices. He's like but, an anti. Yes, but instead of fi- of doing it in a compelling way, I found that Wayne and Ford liked at least when i watched it it felt to me like john ford was trying to telling me to like ethan edwards and to like cheer him on for his rescue yeah Yeah. um and i think some people just see it as like no you're not supposed to like him he's kind of a villain in his own right as well the way he treats native americans but for me it wasn't handled with any sort of like nuance or complexity or an understanding of like actual relations between white people and native americans like it mm-hmm. you know if if it had been made by someone who understood that relationship more it might have been better um because i will say spoilers for the searchers they find natalie wood at the end and she's with the native americans um and it's been years and she has like assimilated into the tribe it's a tribe of comanche and john ford's character john wayne's character decides that he would rather see his niece dead than with Native Americans. Does he does he kill her? Um so he tries to. What the f- he tries to. Wow, that's dark. And so yeah, so it's very dark and again, I don't know if John Wayne intended you to like want to root for John Ford. I don't think you are you're not supposed to agree with him wanting to kill his niece. Like, that is very clear. Mm. Gotcha. And it just, it plays into those tropes, those really harmful tropes with race and male violence. But I don't think it has any sort of commentary on them, like, condemning them enough, if you know what I mean. Right. It doesn't yeah, I say, mean, like, the here's 1950s, this... they weren't going to do that. Right? You know, you can, I think you could, if you made a movie like that nowadays, but you, like, condemned that character or you told it from the perspective of the niece, mm. it could actually mm-hmm. say something interesting. Or, like, the... You said there's a nephew that comes along? It's an, it's Ethan's adoptive nephew, yeah, mm-hmm. who comes with him. And yeah. he's, he's definitely, he's less masculine um, than Ethan is, but Ethan also, like, criticizes him for it and puts him down for it. And right, sure. of course. They don't necessarily get along. And so, you know, I just think it's one of those things where they did not have the commentary and the understanding of gender roles and race to actually make this the compelling movie with a commentary that they might have wanted to. Um, but some people apparently see it differently because it is hailed as one of the greatest Westerns of all time. Hmm. 
and that's and that's kind of my thing is like that's why I like the ones that are a bit more subversive. Um, I don't mean to like rattle on, but Clint Eastwood. So have you guys seen any of Clint Eastwood's westerns? Yeah, I watched the Man with No Name trilogy this weekend. Right. Yes, okay. So I've actually not seen that one, but I've seen Unforgiven. I actually haven't okay, watched so any of Okay, so you've I seen realized. his deconstruction of the western. Yeah, um, which I also do not like. Oh, um, what was it's your... also lauded as a really good movie. I know, but again, I'm not here for the white male violence if it does not come at the hands of, like, under, like, commentary that is understood by people that have been, like, oppressed and hurt by white male violence. I'm not, if that makes sense, I'm not really interested in Clint Eastwood trying to deconstruct his own Mm. masculinity when, like, I've seen how that plays in other films he's done and how he doesn't actually understand the problem with his own masculinity and, like, the violence it causes and the harm it causes people. Mm. Um... What did you think of the Man with No Name trilogy, Willoughby? I liked it. Um, the thing is that, like, well, there's a lot of unnecessary—I wouldn't say unnecessary violence, but I would just say like, there's a lot of like outlandish violence, like to a point where um, I was, you know, doing some trivia searching, and like Sergio Leone was trying to do satires of westerns, mm-hmm. um, but what he ended up doing is kind of redefining the western to like his point of view i feel like because i feel like when people like look at westerns they think of like clint eastwood movies and stuff um at first at face value um i i was looking at it from a much more technical perspective and like the filmmaking is real tight and real good um the the in the tense nature of like the the shootouts are really good mm-hmm. and you like that final scene in the good the bad and the ugly where they're all staring at each other waiting to shoot uh for the gold is like the three hours is sort of worth it because it's sort of like oh my god the, these guys have been through hell to try and find this gold and they, it's just the three of them and they're all staring each other down waiting to see who shoots who to get the gold and it's like real tense and they do a really good job of it and the music's amazing that being said, there's two women in this entire trilogy, um, one in each movie, except for the last one has, like, no women, I think, and uh, I'm pretty sure half of the Mexicans in this movie were played by Italians. Uh, um, the Westerns have a habit of that. And especially the spaghetti ones, because they were filmed in Italy, so they used a lot of, like, Italian actors as extras and stuff. Um Clint Eastwood is like, def- de- like, and Lee Van Cleef are like the only white people, and Eli Wallach is in the third one mo- movie too. Um, they're the three leads in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So like, but Eli Wallach plays a Mexican named Tuco. Um, oh great! So there's a lot of problematic Latino. aspects to these movies, mm-hmm. um, but the filmmaking is quality. So I don't know how to get. It's sort of like yeah. yeah. I mean, and I mean, again, this is like, the first time I'm watching it, so I haven't really like had a chance to really evaluate the movies. I I liked what I saw, but I also didn't like everything I saw. Like, I was a fan of Clint Eastwood's acting. He does a really solid job of being like, like a guy who a guy who would be called the man with no name, if that makes any sense. Like, he's really good at being mysterious. You don't really know anything about him, um, and the only thing you do know about him is that he wears or 
a, a wide brim hat, always smokes a cigarette, and has a poncho over him. Um, and honestly, what a look. What but a at look. the same time, it's like uh, he's just sort of doing like a white man comes into town and wants money, so he goes out bounty hunting. There's so, but at the same time, it's kind of a fun romp. But at the same time, it's not because it's like well, you're not really saying too much about the western. Yeah, and I think this is why, like, there are even, you know, during the classic, uh, the time of, like, classic westerns, there were some westerns that kind of tried to push boundaries and try and subvert things. My favorite Clint Eastwood role is a western musical (laughs) named Paint Your Wagon. Of course. And in it, he plays the innocent, romantic partner, and you don't find out his real name until the very end of the film. Man, that's like a thing with him. I know. And he loves singing about, like, this girl he's in love with. And he's so idealistic and naive. And he plays against the idea that, like, men in Westerns must be hyper-masculine. Um, and it's a musical. So, <laughs> so you. That's so like fun. I was going to say, this is, the op- this is literally, like, the opposite of the Man With No Name trilogy, where he's like, I'm in the town and I'm here for $2,000. Who do I have to shoot? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, I love that one. And then there are actually some really great feminist westerns, um, HG, that I would also recommend to, mm-hmm. like, you. Um, so, in 1954, there was a movie called Johnny Guitar, which starred Joan Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great western. A Joan Crawford. It looks so good. She's, like, wearing these button-up shirts and these jeans. And she has, like, all these ex-lovers. And she's, like, this, like you know, battered by the world, sort of like woman who like runs a saloon and when people try and come and take it from her, she does not let them. Oh my. Um and one of her ex lovers is Johnny Guitar. Um and it's it's so it's so fun and his name is Johnny so, Guitar too. I know. His like nickname. Um and she's so brazen and so I love that like with some of these, you know, they did try and show that it wasn't just men who existed in these lands and women weren't just sitting at home, um, as has been the case, you know, throughout history. Um, and then, you know how, like, the 90s sort of saw, like, a Western revival with movies like Tombstone and right. all of those? Yo, so I, yeah, I would recommend checking out um, a 1993 movie called The Ballad of Little Joe, mm-hmm. okay. which is, like, another feminist one. Um, it stars Susie Amos, Bo Hopkins, uh, Ian McKellen... Ooh. Yep, Heather Graham, Melissa Leo. It's a good movie. Yeah, and so it's about this woman who is, like, she lives in high society, and she ends up getting pregnant out of wedlock. And so to, like, escape all the stigma of that and all, like, the punishment that would come from a lady of society having a child out of wedlock, she flees to the West, and she disguises herself as a man. Mm. And she, like, gets involved in, like, the gold rush and, like, towns out West, and it's, like, her story of survival and how she kind of makes a new life for herself and, like, finds her own agency in the world. Um, So I do recommend Johnny Guitar and Ballad of Little Joe if you're looking at some more, like, Westerns led by women. Okay. Um, they, they still have some unfortunate racial stuff, but I almost, I hate to say it, but like, it's almost like, are there any Westerns made back then that didn't have them? Nope. Probably Which is not. like, right. It's very unfortunate. Um, yeah. 
So yes, um, I like that Westerns sometimes also kind of subvert their own genre and try new things. Yeah, because it's a genre that's been so around thought- for so long and can base can play with itself and uh, have have a, and reinvent itself as it has so many times. Yes, exactly. So I think that's a great way to wrap up our discussion about Westerns. Um, but before we move on to the last segment of our episode, we have another word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by 10-Gallon Hats. Makes you look cool when you're riding off into the sunset. All right, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Um, Anya, since, you know, this was kind of your episode, the Western, why don't you uh, start us off? What do you really like this week? All right, I'm going to talk about something that has nothing to do with Western. (laughs) So back at the beginning of, like, fall and summer, we did our TV um, like fall TV episode, and you guys both had Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on your list, mm. and I did not. Yes. I was very ambivalent towards this show for a variety of reasons, kind of like inside scoops from people who worked on the show or people who had seen screeners, and I was like, mm, I don't really know if this sounds like my thing. So then it comes out, and everyone's talking about it. And I'm like, well, shit. I really love Miranda Otto. So I watched it. More accurately, I binged it. I binged that show so hard, I finished it in a matter of days. I I cannot stop thinking about it. I am so into this show. It is far from perfect. But oh my god, do I love its dedication to its camp and its aesthetic and Zelda over here talking about how much she loves the Lord of Night and the Church of Night and Satan and oh spoiler alert real quick oh no I can't spoiler that for Willoughby hasn't watched it damn it I haven't watched it yet either actually oh I know I'm so behind on your two lists and neither of you have oh, watched yeah. it and I've, I'm the one who's watched it and I'm obsessed with it moving <laughs> I've been watching Doctor Who excuses excuses I've All also right. been well, watching Doctor Who <laughs> for you two to know Sabrina is great. All right, that's good to know. I love I've watched, it. I've watched the first episode. They just we watched it. I've, I've been, like, complaining to my girlfriend who also watched it with me that, like, it's going to be so long till we get season two, even though they're filming season two. I'm just like, I can't wait. I need more. And they just announced today that it's going to be a holiday special <laughs> next month. Oh, yeah. They're like a winter solstice thing. I'm so happy. This show is great, you guys. It suffers from like a little a bit. winters of the True Blood problem in that it's supernatural world is a bit more fascinating, just kind of inherent. Inherently. Inherently. Mm. A little unbalanced a at times. Um, for that, me, yeah. That's the fun part. Oh. Wait, what? I like, I like the supernatural stuff. That's fun. No, 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 no. I'm saying, like, I wish both worlds were equally interesting. Oh, okay. Like, I love the supernatural world, and I'm so glad it's fascinating, but, like, all, I love all the mortal characters. Sabrina's friendship group and her relationship with Harvey is all great and so pure. I don't care what people say about Harvey. He is not boring. He is a little puppy. <laughs> and I love him. Ugh. Harvey's ma- they- cater-made for you, too, because you love the goody-two-shoe boys. 
I do. I do. Um, but I also kind of have a thing for Lord Blackwood, so. Whoops. Oh, Anya. That's a problem. Going against I'm, type. He's an older British man. Oh, of course. Okay, never mind. Not that much it's, against type. That's not going against that's type not at, against at all. all. It's just a problem. He just happens he also to be a villain. To yeah. So that's just like a minor problem. <laughs> um, but the show is fun. And, you know, even with its missteps, I think it's actually saying something really interesting about women in power and belief and faith and what you do with that faith. And I just think it's so much fun. And someone was telling me that they didn't like it because it didn't lean into its camp enough. Don't listen to that. This show leans into its camp hard. And it is so much fun. Zelda Spellman is my hero. I love her. I want to be her. She's the best. Anyway, this wasn't supposed to happen. I... Accept it. Embrace the Dark Lord that is oh, Chilly Witches' is Freema. I'm embracing it. I'm ready to write my name in the Book of the Beast and join the Church of Night. <laughs> um, hey, Anya, you good? <laughs> um, I'm alright. But yeah, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. If I was ambivalent about it and I loved it now, if you're excited about it, go watch it because it's so much fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Alright, Willoughby, what does you really like this week? What I really like was going to be Outlaw King, starring Chris Pine, which is essentially penis. a sequel. 12 frames of it, sure. Get some, <laughs> crisp, get some crispine in there. But um, uh, it was going to be Outlaw King, which is the sequel, essentially a sequel to Braveheart, even though it's not really. I mean, it takes place after Braveheart and like immediately following Braveheart um, and it follows a lot of similar characters. But it's not going to be Outlaw King because the trailer for Detective Pikachu <laughs> launched today, Monday, and good lord, I am so invested in this movie. I was so not invested yesterday. I was like, okay, so they're making a Detective Pikachu. They're making a weird movie it's set in the Pokemon universe. It's live action. Ryan Reynolds is Pikachu. Okay, let's see how wild this can be. The trailer drops. And oh my gosh, I want to I want to hug Pikachu so badly. He's very cute. He's played by Ryan Reynolds, but he's very cute. Um, and they show all the different Pokemon. There's a, a herd of Bulbasaurs, and I'm just like, I want to cuddle with all of them. Um, and there's a Charizard, and so basically, in this in this movie, uh, Justice Smith, who is an actor, he is. Playing he a would-be, you seem in disbelief. <laughs> he was in the get. He was in the get down. Um, and he was also in Jurassic Park, I guess. Jurassic World. Excuse me. Um, and he was in. Uh, so he's playing like a would-be Pokemon trainer, son of a de- of a police detective, and he meets a Pikachu with a little deerstalk hat, like Sherlock Holmes. And he's a detective, and he's played by Ryan Reynolds, and they're the only one, and he's the only one that can understand Pikachu in terms of like human language uh and so they go on a i guess they go on an adventure um not sure much about the plot uh, who cares about the plot need, though there doesn't need to be one but i'm very excited to like have this like first foray into the live action pokemon universe which to this point we've only done animated 2d uh pokemon movies and tv shows so this is going to be very interesting um we were talking offline about how the Pokemon Go release trailer, I think, was a test for, like, this sort of, like, interaction between human and, and 
digital creators. Um, someone pointed out that it's like this is kind of like in the vein of like who framed who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, where like the character, it's not they're not fully live action. There is a sense of stylized otherworldliness to them, um, and I'm mean, I'm just very excited, guys. I love Pokemon. I'm gonna get the new game when it comes out next week. It's very fun. Um, but yeah, Detective Pikachu, which is just such a wild concept. I guess it was a video game um, where you get to play Detective Pikachu and you like solve crimes. So I'm excited for that. Um, uh, oh, I was going to make a joke about how this is going to be a better version of the crimes of Grindelwald because it's going to be a movie about Fantastic Beasts and solving crimes. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, Go not wrong. Leave, Willoughby. <laughs> Okay, bye. No. Yeah, I'm still I'm still baffled by that trailer. I don't know I don't know what to make of it. I'm just like I'm confused why this is a real movie. I'm sure it'll be wild. Although I saw I heard someone cut a like recut this trailer to have Danny DeVito's voice instead of Ryan Reynolds and now Did I kind they? of want that oh. movie. I want that oh, movie. Yeah, that was the joke, was that everybody wanted Danny DeVito to play P- Pikachu, and we get Ryan Reynolds instead. Yeah. Now it's just like, Whoops. it's just Deadpool, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see more. Anya's on the fence. I'm just like, I don't know what to make of this. And Willoughby's on the other side of the fence being like, I'm ready. <laughs> it's I'm not like a real tickets. film, but I'm curious. I'm pretty, I'm like still convinced this is a long con. Who knows? I mean, it really is like a Transformers movie in the sense that it's to get you to buy Pokemon shit. I mean, all the Pokemon franchises to get us buy, to buy Pokemon shit. That was one yes. long franchise, merchi- merchandising franchise. Yes. True. So, what I really like this week, I haven't actually seen a lot of, you know, pop culture or anything. And, uh, uh, or watch any movies. I did watch The Grinch, which would not go under my really like because I thought it was just like mediocre. But what I really like this week is that I moved to New York. <laughs> I good really like. Yeah. I mean, New York is a lot more pop culture centered than DC. So yeah. I well, right before I my move, like um, before I was driving up here, I watched the first episode of Friends. Just kind of, I know it has nothing to do with New York, mm-hmm. but I kind of felt like it was, it was. Um, like apt because uh, my roommate Rebecca and I bonded over friends and that's how we became like best friends. Cute. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's about 20 somethings moving to New York and finding themselves, even though it has nothing to do with the actual New York and is um, a fictional fantasy version of New York. I still enjoyed watching it and um, kind of getting myself ready for the big move. And I'm so excited to be here. It's been surreal. I've I just moved on Saturday, so uh, it feels like things should be more out of whack than they should, but we've settled in really quickly, and I, I've got, like, most of my furniture. We're basically, like, in. We're in it. And, um, yeah, I'm so excited. I can't wait, guys. I'm so happy. And I love it. Yeah, and from now on, I'll be podcasting from New York City. Oh, I miss New York. New York's a great city. Come visit me. Come I want out. to. Come. You can crash on our phantom couch, which we have not yet received. Okay, good. <laughs> I will I will I will come once the phantom couch arrives. And once it becomes corporeal. 
Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're still you're still uh, doing some alchemy there. Yeah, it has to go through you know, summoning portal. some summoning some satanic, you know, rites and rituals. <laughs> oh hail Lord Couch, God <laughs> sofas. That does sound so amazing, though. I'm so proud of you, Thanks. and I'm so glad that it's gone smoothly because I know that can be one of those things that does not always go smoothly. Yeah, thankfully, nothing terrible has gone has happened yet. Knock on wood. Good. Yes. Yay. All right. Uh, well, that is our episode. Do you guys have any thoughts about westerns or Detective Pikachu or Chilling Adventures of Sabrina or recommendations for what HT should do first in New York City? Come chat with us and tell us everything you have to say. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. Partner. All right. Thanks, Clint Eastwood. And thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.